We're at episode 16 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast, and today is all about martial arts training, specifically from the civilian side. I'm sure you've heard of fight, flight, or freeze, so today we're going to take a little bit of a different look and see how that's applicable to you. Let's go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Welcome back to Tactical Breakdown. This is episode 16 of the show. Thank you for being here and listening and supporting our show. If you're brand new and you haven't heard us before, thank you for being here. Once you subscribe, make sure to rate and review the podcast. It's going to help us take this thing to the next level. So for my guest today, I have a friend, a fellow martial artist and instructor. His name is Randy King. He is the host of the Randy King Live podcast, which is a debate show that focuses specifically on martial arts and defensive tactics training. And today we have him on the show, him and I take a deep dive into martial arts training, our thoughts on it, and I get to hear a little bit about his system when it comes to fight, flight, or freeze, some stuff that he's doing a little bit differently for his students so that they can get the most out of his program. I'm really excited to have him on the show and share his thoughts. I hope you like it too. So let's jump right into the interview with Randy King. Here we go. So... Randy, really appreciate you taking the time today. I'm glad we finally hammered down some time. Um, I know it's been a couple uh, couple months uh, in the making, and I'm super happy we finally got the chance. Before we get too far into our conversation, can you just let our listeners know, our instructors and our trainers, the people that are listening, what you do and, and what you focus on, um, your martial arts background? Sounds great. So I'm a human being from Earth. I, uh, I, <laughs> I specialize, <laughs> no, just, just bugging you. So I, uh, I'm a self-defense instructor and I specialize primarily in civilian based self-defense. Um, not that I haven't taught other agencies, but like that's pretty common in the world. The, the niche that I really enjoy is taking people from, from nothing to a starting point of zero to 60, right? So the goal of the training that I do through KPC here locally in Edmonton, Alberta, through my Randy King Live platform where I teach internationally and through the Violence Dynamics platform where I work in a group, the, the major goal is to indoctrinate and tell teach people about violence in a, a realistic way. A lot of people are blinded by Hollywood and they're blinded by UFC and they're monkey see, monkey do type people. They've never experienced violence. They see it on TV. They think that's how it is. And my job is kind of the bridge from that into reality. That's awesome. And that's why I wanted you on here was because I know what I, when I've run courses and when I've taught, that's kind of the first thing that always comes up is that, okay, we're going outside of what you think, you know, when it comes to all the Hollywoodized version of defensive tactics training and martial arts training and we're going to have a real conversation about how violence actually works. And usually it's a really uncomfortable conversation for people to have, especially if it's their first time. Have you had that experience? Oh, yeah, 100%. So the way I look at it, because again, I, I base myself primarily in the civilian world on purpose. Um, I actually don't. And so no offense to the law enforcement or military listeners out there. I don't enjoy teaching law enforcement and military primarily because I was never one of them. 
right? So I feel disingenuous to be like, this is what I would do in a job I've never done. Uh, the other reason is I find a lot of people on course uh, are on course on their free time and they don't tend to enjoy that as much. So when I deal with clients, and that's why I had to preface this, I think there's in my in my specific lane, there are two types of clients out there. There's what I call preventative clients. These are people that don't want something bad to happen to them. Maybe they saw something on TV that motivated them. They watched a Jason Bourne movie and they wanted to learn crap ga or something bad happened to somebody they knew and it, it made them train. The other type of client is what I call a curative client. And that's a client where something horrific has already happened to them. And now they're trying to make sure they can like they can fix that through the psychological and physical aspects of, of getting through that. So I've definitely run into people from both sides. I run into I myself being a teacher have run into people who had no idea what violence looked like. And I had to explain to them. And I also, as a teacher, have learned about violence because of people telling me a story that I didn't even consider. So, yes, I have had that on both sides of the fence. I think it's really important, too, is that when when we talk to law enforcement and military trainers, one of the common threads that I always hear from the experts, mm-hmm. um, I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself kind of a jack of all trades where I know a little bit of, enough to talk about it, not enough to to be an expert and, and teach it um, yeah. to the law enforcement military community. When I ask right. those guys and I say, hey, listen, what's the one common thread? They say, well, one, we don't have enough time. Yeah. And two <laughs> is that they always encourage people to go out and seek training on their own. Mm-hmm. And kind of the context and how the initial thought to get you on the podcast was um, I had posted a thing on LinkedIn, a question to our law enforcement and military instructors saying, what kind of martial arts do you recommend that? officers take on their own time if they have to spend their own money and it's their off time their days off if it's an hour or 10 hours a week what's something that you recommend um and that obviously the that varies but yes i always thought that and and i think you'll agree with me on this that i've always thought that training the mental component first is just if not more important than teaching the physical skills. And I know you have thoughts on that. So what what do you think about that topic? Sure. So I'm going to walk two things out of that from that conversation. Number one, the term expert. I think the term expert is uh, more of a hindrance than a help, to be honest, uh, especially in the way that I teach or the way that uh, I present my seminars. I found if somebody labels himself an expert and then they're presented as an expert, it tends to stifle conversation from people who have had actual experience, maybe outside the realm of the quote unquote expert. But if somebody's an expert, nobody wants to question them, right? So I like that you don't consider yourself an expert, right? Because yeah, like you walk into a room, I'm the expert, then everybody's like, oh, we can't question the expert. And then we're not really getting an organic view of the violence. Uh, I think though, too, on what you're saying there with the educational stuff, I can't, I can't agree enough with that. Honestly, like, and I said before the show, and it's one of my biggest sayings is education is accessible. Now training takes time. And a lot of people out there, they, they have this, they have the hierarchy of this in reverse. So they believe they should learn uh, techniques. And then those techniques will then build into a, uh, uh, strategy, that strategy will then apply tax and those tax will then enforce the goal. But from what I've seen, vice versa, and especially with the limited amount of time that everybody gets, because there's never enough time to get good at anything. It's it's the reverse hierarchy is more important. It's better to give somebody a goal 
and then backfill that with techniques, tactics, and strategies, as opposed to vice versa. Like, here's how you throw a jab. At, that's great, but that should be refining your goal. It should you shouldn't try and force that jab into the goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent, it does. And actually, it's really interesting. I just had that conversation with a, a young gentleman today, um, and we were talking about time and space, and mm-hmm. talking about he's because he's brand new. He's never been into a fight before, and now sure. he's a new security officer. And he was concerned that he was going to get into a fight and get punched or stabbed or kicked or whatever it was. And he said, how do I, can you train me for this? And I said, what I can train you to do is I can train you to put your safety first. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that I need to teach you how to fight and punch and kick and use an arm lock or a transport wrist lock and takedowns and and handcuff control. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about with you is that you need to learn where and when to put yourself so that you're safe and that you can react. Cause if you don't leave yourself that time and space, people are going to catch you off guard. And he was like, Oh, I never thought of that. And I said, mm-hmm. you can diffuse or disengage with 99% of these situations just by thinking ahead and playing it smart instead of just going up there and kind of, I don't know if it's being aggressive or feigning aggression with that person, but you're you can be smart about it and i think that applies too to everybody who's in our law enforcement community as well is that if you set yourself up correctly going into a situation you're you've kind of done the majority of the work yeah i agree 100 percent with that so i was in nightclub security for 11 years of my life so i was a bouncer and uh, that's kind of where my first touch with violence was i've been doing martial arts since i was 10 i have belts and trophies and all this garbage and then i got a job as a bouncer and uh, all that meant nothing against old dudes with rings that beat the crap out of me for my first couple of shifts and i was just <laughs> awful and so uh it's uh, that's it's kind of that that f that f a new guy type situation right where they don't know they don't know what they're supposed to do and for the first three years of my career i fought everybody i was dumb i was young i was an aggressive male uh, I had testosterone up the wazoo and I'm like, I'm going to fight all takers because this drunk person's opinion of my family he's never met is super important. So I have to, I can't let them say those things. And then eventually, like you're saying now is then I learned the, I, we call them like, I don't know industry calls them soft skills, but like the verbal skills and the, the space and distance stuff and the, you know, not running up aggressive, hot headed hands back, chin forward style when you're trying to control a situation. So I got to that kind of middle ground. And then after that, life got much, much easier. And in a, in a, a forced profession, i.e. enforcing the rules of a door, in my case, there's still going to be stuff that happens because that's what the job is for. But it should not be – if the totality of your job is going physical, you're probably – your training is probably lacking in some areas that you don't know. Yeah, let's talk about that training for a minute. What do you sure. think is – the base level for anybody who's going to be getting into uh, security or looking at the early levels of law enforcement, people that are haven't put their foot in the door yet, they maybe dip their toe in the water and they're like, I need to get some experience, some training before I kind of jump fully into this. What, what do you think is the best route for them to take? Fantastic question. So I do have a personal preference on this, but I'm going to preface it first with uh, <laughs> again, again, goal oriented, right? So everybody's job is different. Like for some people, BJJ might not be specific to their job, but for police that are trying to restrain tactics, BJJ is great. So number one is first find out what 
the requirements of your job are and find a system that mirrors that to the best of your ability. There's, there's just no way around that. People do this with exercise. They do this with nutrition, sports performance. But for some reason, it doesn't overlap to combatives training. Now, my personal opinion is I think everybody should learn how to wrestle. Wrestling or judo or some kind of middle range kind of position is important because honestly, learning how to move a body becomes much more functional in a real life skill set than, than trying to force a technique in there. And people like to strike because striking has rules, right? And that's fun. And people like to be on the ground. That's fun too. The hard work happens in the middle, and that's unfortunately where most combat happens. Is that is that middle distance transitional between striking and grappling? Uh, and I sorry, I don't mean grappling because grappling is any intertwined, but I mean striking and ground fighting. That in between portion is is highly. It, I'm gonna re repeat that. Sorry, it used to be highly lacking. A lot of people are now working with that. Craig Douglas, Ryan Hoover, um, I believe Blauer works in the middle too. But I think honestly, if you had a decent a decent wrestling background, not only the, the learning how to control somebody and the positions and the weight mechanics are important, also just the grind of wrestling at judo will help just make you mentally more tough to deal with. You know, it's funny. I, it, I looked through when I looked through earlier today and I was going through kind of your, your bio and your background. Um, and now that we've, I got your little spiel on kind of your background, you and I yeah. pretty much had the same, we pretty much followed the same path, which is oh, really? Which is really funny. Yeah, starting out <laughs> uh, like bouncing. I mean, I I bounced in uh, around the door to club in Saskatoon here for five six years when I first started. Um, I got my foundation in Sikaran. Um, so oh, Kali, cool. our niece. Um, nice. And then I worked my way up through when I did my military training and uh, the security defensive tactics certifications. But I I a hundred percent agree with you. Is that I think that grappling is one of those things that people just inherently think that they're going to know how to do when it comes down to it. Yeah. And they want yeah. to work on their striking and yeah. coming from a striking background first, like competitively, and then learning how to transition that into to real world. It's a huge difference. And, 100%. and when I, a couple of years ago and I was sitting there and I realized I was like, I'm, I have a huge hole in my game. And I started then, training in BJJ. And yeah. I tell you what, there's nothing more humbling going in, <laughs> in your, you know, early thirties, going into a gym after having been a defensive tax instructor, martial artist for many, many years, and just getting rolled into pretzels by white belts and blue belts. And then being like, I guess I need to start this journey all over again, which is super exciting for me. I love yeah. it. Um, uh, go ahead. Oh, sure. I couldn't agree more. We have a BJJ coach up here. And uh, for unfortunately for me, BJJ is eating my vegetables. I uh, don't like being on the ground. I just don't. I've been down there too many times in real life and I, it just it drives me crazy. So like I've never missed a boxing lesson. I've never missed a Filipino martial arts lesson, but I tend to find excuses not to grapple, which means I should do it more than anything else. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, <laughs> But uh, for me, I think it's true. And BJJ, and I love BJJ. I think it's really great. I think that there's a certain, like anything, right? Like if you look at, if you look at just combat performance in general, there's obviously a point of failure with any type of training, whether you're striking or whether you're deadlifting or whether you're doing BJJ, where eventually so much specialization only makes you better at the thing you're doing and not better at an overarching uh, 
concept. Mm -hmm. So striking eventually gets so into the weeds where you're doing jumps and spins that they're probably not necessary. I think after, and this is a per, uh, uh, just a personal belief, so please don't angry blog me BJJ people. But I think after after blue belt in BJJ, like while the skills are still good, they're not the skills you really need for self defense so much anymore. They're now more just skills and how to beat other jujitsu players. And then the same thing with weightlifting too, right? Like after you can deadlift half twice your body weight, anything after that is just getting better at deadlifting. You're not really gaining the benefit for the the combative. So to me, always the overarching goal is the most important thing. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What are the circumstances I'm in? And then go with that, right? I think that goes right back to your initial point there, which is you should be training for your goal. So if your goal Mm -hmm. is to be, you know, proficient at a certain skill, then you train for that. If your goal is to be, better if it's you're you're out on patrol and your goal is to be able to physically control subjects as you need to then you need to train to that level and maybe like you said maybe spending your all your time and effort in the gym doing deadlifts or weightlifting isn't going to get you to that goal you have to start mixing in and cross training and and different things to to get that well-roundedness so that you don't necessarily peek out in any one technique or any one system but yeah you're capable of using what you need when you need to use it exactly and getting a getting a multi getting a multi-level toolbox is super important the toolbox is like super tactical to say but getting a (laughs) getting a bunch of stuff together in order to have right so my i i am good at hitting people i'm a big guy and i have a good right hand that has served me well for many years so most of my training, including my BJJ training, is all about me getting to use my right hand. So if I'm grappling, I'm like, okay, how do I free this hand first, right? How do I stand back up? How do I do what I'm going to do? But I think, honestly, that middle, like I said with the wrestling thing, that middle ground is so – it's the hardest thing to train. And also the answers – it's so, not as the hardest thing to train. It's the hardest thing to teach. Because the answers in the middle are much squishier answers than the answers on the ground or in a striking range. And what I mean by squishy is like you got to play with it. Like your coach can give you tips, but they can't be like if you – it's not like throw a, a lead rear lead hook. Or it's not like uh, get into an S mount and go into an arm bar. Like the answers in the middle are super squishy. And so I think people stray away from it because one, it's hard because if you fail, you fall down or you go into a striking range. And two, as a coach, you have to be pretty confident in your coaching ability to be able to answer maybe. And not a lot of coaches like that. They want to give definitive answers. You know, it's funny. I don't know where I heard this, but maybe I'm making it up to you. I don't know. Sure. But <laughs> it, the, it's an Adam original as far as there I can you go. Keep going. You can't, <laughs> it, it went like this. You can't teach balance. You have to train balance. Yes, which means that you can't coach somebody on how to know how to handle themselves when they're off balance or how to control the balance of another person. They mm-hmm. have to do it and they have to do it over and over and over again because only they are going to know how to control their body in that position. So, yeah, that's and that's what you're talking about. You know, when we're talking about like Sambo or Judo, yes, any of those middle ground arts that you're talking about there like you can't you have to do it there's no there's no easy there's no easy route to that knowledge no exactly and people and like i said like you could see people can they can fake their striking you see it with like fake martial arts all the time like oh yeah i'm so dangerous i can't go to cage yada 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 and you see it same thing on the ground right like yes the person's dominant on the ground but they didn't get flipped up in the air and pitched on the ground on concrete before they were there right that that middle is such a difference in opinion when people are are trading this stuff and i think 
especially if you're in law enforcement or if you're in the military, maybe the rules of engagement are different. I've never been in the military at all. But if you're in the security field, you got to get close to people like the standard, the standard self-defense of like, oh, you know, like keep a reactionary gap. That, well, it sounds good in training. It's not reality in practice, right? Like maybe the person's already collapsed or they're quiet or you have to approach them. So that middle, like being able to control the middle allows you to go to the range that you're comfortable in. So the reason I like to control the middle is because I like to try and stay standing to the best of my ability and move back and strike. Now, obviously I ground fight because – I bounce for a long time and I've been on the ground a lot. It's Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. There's ice on the ground most of the year. I've slipped a hundred times. So there is still a place to have those, those skill sets. But like I said, that middle is just so important. And also because the middle is hard and this can't be left out of it is there has to be, there's some mental fortitude you need to be a person that deals with the public all the time. And if you want to gain physical, mental fortitude, like go to your local college, ask to wrestle with the wrestling team. That'll be humbling. And you'll learn that mental fortitude right there pretty quickly and for a cheap rate. Yeah, absolutely. You, yeah. You could even go to the high school wrestling team and just ask to, yeah. to wrestle with the juniors or the freshmen. Yeah. And it's, yeah. <laughs> and then you can be super, super humble. Just like I had the same, ex- I had the same experience you had. I've been doing, I've been training forever and I've been like a jack of all trades as well. It does sound like we have very similar backgrounds. And uh, I thought I had, like, I can, like, the one thing I like about BJJ, which I can really compliment them on, is the belt means something, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I know I've been training enough and I can, I'm rest like an overpower or whatever enough to somebody with, like, just under blue belt. But blue belt and up, they're going to own me. There's just no, there's no way. And it's insane that just looking at a piece of cloth, I know, like, this person's probably going to beat me, but it's because the, the, the modality the amount of reps they put into it. Right. You know, it, it's funny too. And this, this is kind of off topic and down the rabbit hole, but sure. when you, when you talk about that and I know lineage is a big thing when it comes to martial arts, it always has been and always will be. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like BJJ has one of the more well-established lineages. Um, I mean, BJJ, um, Jeet Kune Do, mm-hmm. ones where, you can literally track more and it may be just because they're more modern um, and have been developed more the most within the last hundred years or so um, or popularized, I guess, within the last hundred years. Um, And we're not talking about like um, karate and Taekwondo and ones where it gets muddy real fast. Um, And you've seen that as well. But I think that you're right is that with things like BJJ, that lineage is there and, and, it's real quick and you can a quick YouTube search of, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, of fake black belt goes to BJJ school. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny because it's, you see it all. It's so, so apparent when yeah. somebody hasn't done the reps. Well, exactly. And it's, it's just one of those things like you think, like, like you, you said it yourself, right? Like everybody thinks every man thinks they can fight. Like, it's insane. They're like, oh, I can fight. Whatever. No big deal. Uh, but unless you train, like, and the, the more you train to fight, the more you realize you can't fight. And I think Joe Rogan talked about this. He finds it insane or whatever. There's a quote out there. But it's definitely, yeah, those reps are important. One of my favorite things, um, I love. I both love and hate the McDojo Life uh, brand. I don't know if, are you aware of McDojo Life? I'm sure you <laughs> yeah, are. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I love McDojo Life because... Uh, because they call these people out and they just show you the ridiculousness and like, you're like, how can people believe this crap? But I, I what I hate about McDojo life, which is actually my favorite thing to do is make fun of people is McDojo life is where the 
alpha males get to be tattletales. Right? So they're like, that gym's fake. They should report it on McDojo Life. It's just kind of a funny dichotomy to me where they're trying to prove martial arts, but also like people are using it as a tattletale state in order to try and like shut down other people's clubs if they don't agree with something they're saying. Yeah, no, it's I, I agree with you there too. It's some of the best instructors that I've ever had, unless mm-hmm. some, unless you somebody told you that they were who they were you would have no yeah. idea. They, they, mm-hmm. they reside in the shadows, right? Yes. They don't, they don't publicize. They don't care what other people are teaching. They know that what they're doing is right. And they just stay the course. Um, and I think that's, I think that stands true for almost all martial arts is the people that are really, really good at it. You, you really won't know. <laughs> no, it's true. The, and the way that I learned like through years of training and traveling, I'm very lucky that I've been able to travel the world to do this. Uh, is that it seems like the nicer the person, the more scary they are. That's that's true. my anecdotal evidence. 100%. But like when somebody, yeah, when somebody barks loud about how tough they are, I'm like, ah, garbage. And then when you like you hear like third hand a story about somebody, then they deny it. You're like, oh, you're a legit badass. Good to know. Like it's just it's a weird thing that kind of happens. I don't know. You know what's funny? I'm gonna at some point I'm gonna link uh, the YouTube video on this channel. Do you, have you ever watched the Simpsons? Yes, of course. Okay. So there's a episode where I think it was like the mafia was fighting the Yakuza and there was this little dude in white and standing completely quietly. And Homer's like, I don't want to go. He hasn't done anything yet. Cause he's just standing there. Calm, cool, quiet. Doesn't say or do anything. And then all of a sudden he turns into like the most amazing fighter that's there. Right. Um, yeah, and Homer misses it, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I remember that one." <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the way it is. It's it's the person, yeah. and you know this too. Working in the bar, um, mm-hmm. it's always the guy that's sitting there quiet that yeah. you have to watch for. Um, it's not the, yeah. it's not the guy stepping up, running his mouth. Um, that no. he's easy to handle. It's the guy that's sitting there that doesn't say anything, or that's slowly moving behind you or somebody else. That's exactly. Yeah. And identifying that's super important too, right? Like that was a lot of my survivability was all of my authority was based off of a $25 supply sergeant shirt that said security. Like that's, that's my vested authority for a long time. So learning how to read, learning how to read people was important. Um, and that, that person, the one that's sitting there quietly watching their friends bark at you, if you go and tell them their friend is barking, that usually stops the barking faster than you actually intervening yourself. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I know one thing I wanted to get to um, while I have you on is your freeze model. Um, Yes. There's a lot of different names for it and people are going to understand it. So I'm not going to preface it by giving it other names to, because, you know, people like to stick to their (laughs) system. So I'm going to let you explain what this freeze model that, that you've kind of come up with uh, and coined is and uh, and let people kind of know about it and why it's important. Awesome. So again, to preface, just to spin back, I teach civilians. This is very important for the freeze model. So uh, I adapted this model from research from a man. And of course, I can't remember his name right now, but I can send you the link to the blog uh, for your listeners because it's important to get the information for as many people as possible, not just me. Um, the The freeze model is very important because so the reason I got into I, I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see that. And I got to reality based self-defense air quotes uh, is because. I got stabbed working the door and I froze and nobody told me about freezing. It wasn't a thing that people talked about. I didn't read the literature that was out there. Like there was people that were doing it, but this was, 
I'm 38. So this when I was like uh, 22 when this happened. So not a lot of this reality-based stuff was happening. It was still just very physical skill sets when it came to martial arts. So after I froze, I got, I actually got really depressed. I got depressed for about a year. I stopped training. I stopped uh, working. I stopped doing any kind of force job. I just kind of went into sales and did nothing because of the way that I performed because not knowing what was happening. So I read a book by a guy named Rory Miller, pretty famous guy out there. One of the, I think one of the leaders of the, the soft skill side of things. And he had a book called Facing Violence. He talked about freezing, which made me fascinated because I froze during the encounter when the knife came out. Uh, actually, sorry, I didn't know there was a knife there, but I froze during the encounter that it happened. And from that point, it kind of fascinated me. So I started really, really digging deep into any anybody who was researching anything on a freeze. And now I guess for the listeners, if you don't know what a freeze is or my term of the freeze, because I'm not trying to brand something new in my in my Randy King magic system, a freeze is a cognitive stoppage of your brain where it makes your body do nothing. Now, there are physical freezes and mental freezes. Physical freezes statistically don't happen very often. Uh, most of the freezes are mental. Now, the model that I use is a three-piece freeze model. Um, as opposed to a two-piece model. So I'll go over what the basic one was, and then I'll go over the addition, if that makes sense, Adam. 100%, go for it. Awesome. So the way, so what happens is, like, evolutionarily speaking, uh, human beings freezing when they don't know what to do is actually smart because most predators back in the day had uh, movement-based vision, right? That's how you would still, tiger roars, you would freeze. Did that tiger see me, right? Am I cool? And then you could make a decision from there. Freezing still happens to this day. Our our biology has definitely not caught up with our technology. We're still responding the same we responded 300 years ago to things cognitively. Um, and so there's there's these levels of this freeze. So there's a freeze, which we call the detection freeze. The detection freeze, everybody who's listening to this has experienced. It's if you've ever been scared before and you just stopped, like, ah, and they scared you, that's what's called the detection freeze. That is your brain figuring out if they need if it needs to go into the next stage of uh, defending itself, right? So my daughter, I have an 11 year old daughter. If she jumps out and goes boo, my brain goes da. Something happened you didn't expect. Do I need to go to a, a different level? Do I need to uh, fight here? Do I need to run here? Do I need to try and uh, frighten this person off, or do I need to maybe submit to this person? So that's what's called a detection freeze. And a lot of people, when they they teach this, they phrase it: it's either fight, flight, or freeze. That's actually inaccurate. You always freeze first. That is how your brain decides what to do in combat. So detection freeze is the first basic one you've all experienced. It's not a big deal. The next level of freeze is a little bit deeper. And this is where people, this is the one that people mean when they say fight, flight, or freeze. This is a deeper level of freeze from the detection. So as it goes cognitively, I'm sure you and your listeners know about the OODA loop, O-O-D-A, observe, orient, decide, act. Mm -hmm. When you observe something, the orient is that basic freeze, right? Is there something I can do here? If you run into a situation where you have some kind of training pattern form, then you go to what's called the shock freeze if the thing that happened is outside of your training spectrum but still expected. So what I mean by that is when I first started bouncing, uh, I was doing a lot of full contact competitions. I was doing some light kickboxing. And so everybody wore gloves. I wore mouthpieces. So while my brain knew what a punch in the face felt like, when I first got punched by a biker with rings on his hand, I went into a shocked freeze because my brain's like, I know what a punch is. This isn't it. That, this feels this different. isn't it, right? <laughs> but yeah, but it looked the same. And so your brain needs a minute to get there. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Now, this is where most of the literature stops, and I'm going to explain why it stops in a second, but this is where most of it stops. So either you have a light freeze or a deeper freeze, a shock freeze, and then it takes three to seven seconds to get out of it. There's some some people say there's ways you could break it. Uh, I don't believe there is. Uh, from the, the current research, that's not what happens. But your brain then just finds some kind of scripted response to to deal with it. Make sense? Yes. For a long time, this was the model. And the reason this was the model is that the people that are writing the books on self-defense are all highly trained individuals. They are former special forces, former bouncers, former police officers, former jail guards. It doesn't matter what they are, but they all have a very, very, very high level of training. This is what makes it inaccessible to the person with no combat skill who then goes into an even deeper freeze. When they try to articulate to somebody with the experience what happened, they can't. Um, they can't because there is a level of freeze deeper that if you are well-trained, you will never experience. So this is a very big selling point for continued training. If you have a – the only thing that comes out under stress is habit or ritual, something that is ingrained in your system. That's why the military makes people clean their guns blindfolded. That's why you have to do reps in something over and over again until it becomes subconscious. Um, people call it muscle memory. That's also a fallacy, but it's a good model or understanding. Like if your body can do it subconsciously, let your brain doing it, that's, that's what I would consider habit and ritual. Does that make sense? It does. Cool. So – under a shock freeze, you'll still have a habit ritual that pops out because you understand that this is going to happen. And that's what all the educational training does. That's what all that's that's what that's what the safety dance on an airplane is for. Airplane crashes are uh, so much more. The actually airplane crashes crazy survivable. It's insane. I fly a lot. and I'm a research guy, obviously, and I freaked out about flying so much. I was a white knuckle flyer, and so I, I researched it. And uh, yeah, they're pretty survivable if you understand where the exit is. So even when they do that little safety dance exit, like your exits are here, they're over here, they're over here. That's super important. Human beings do not work well without a plan. We do not make plans under duress. In fact. Under a high level of stress hormone, you physically cannot create a new pattern. That part of your brain shuts down under combat. This is all important because then we go it, we go down to what we call the overwhelmed freeze. This is at the moment right now the deepest level of freeze that applies to combat. And I have a story to lock this in. If you're, this is a all is this a over eighteen show? Because the story's it, man. kind of dark. Send it. Let's see what you got. Okay, cool. So, so anyway, so the last freeze is the overwhelmed freeze, and this is the piece that I'm adding into it. And it's not just me. I got this from a researcher from Harvard. We had a great two hour Skype conversation on it. He wrote a great blog on why women freeze during sexual assault. The overwhelmed freeze is your brain is the only organ in your body that knows how to be selfish. Because it's that's where selfishness exists. So your brain, if you have no habit or ritual, if you have no good option, or if your body does an assessment of your physicality and realizes you can't do anything about the situation, it will go into a deep, deep overwhelmed freeze where it may last the entire encounter. Now, why this is important, especially in the civilian world, is when it comes to sexual assault and or people getting just boot kicked and they reach a depressed state because they thought they would have performed better. So detection freezes, something happens, that's a boot. Shock freezes, something happens inside your wheelhouse, but outside the parameters of that wheelhouse. So punch by a ring instead of punch by a glove. An overwhelmed freeze happens when something you could not believe happened happens. Or if your body believes 
you cannot deal with it. So if you've seen um, somebody get like a deer in the headlights, like a deer caught in the headlights, that's an overwhelmed freeze. That is a the deer going, the deer's body knowing I'm not going to be able to jump out of the way of this. I just, it's impossible. It's too fast. This happens to humans all the time too. You'll see humans on YouTube videos and they'll stand there and a car's coming at them. Everybody's like, why didn't they move? They couldn't move. Their body went into a deep freeze. They knew they could not physically jump out of the way at the time they had because your body's doing a constant assessment of you and your brain and they get stuck there. So story time. I work with uh, current and former sex workers here in Edmonton and uh, pretty much all around the world. Like they, because I say that all the time, more attracted to me. And then I get to work with these people more. They are a vulnerable sector of society, which means police officers have to take their word a little bit better than uh, other people's because they're protected, the vulnerable persons uh, actor, whatever it's called. So I had a female train with me. Um, she experienced a, uh, a sexual, a rape. I don't want to say sexual, so I'm not going to talk it down. She was raped. It wasn't a, a boob to, it wasn't an elbow to the boob sex. It was a, a straight up rape. So she was working in a uh, parlor and she was a sub. And if you're listening to what a sub is, that's a person that gets tied up. They're submissive to a dominant partner. That was her specialty. She brought a client in. The client requested her to be tied down, uh, face down, bent over a table, hands and feet restrained. This is normal for her. Nothing outside the wheelhouse. It's going according to the agreement. Everything was fine. Where the rape happens, because I get some pious people that don't understand the work. The rape happens when the man breaks the contract. And after he tied her down, he removed his condom and then raped her. And that's why it's rape, because of the removal of the condom, the breaking of the deal. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So he rapes her uh, aggressively. With no condom on, his guy could have whatever, whatever multiple pathogens out there. Um, obviously, this is his move. At the end of the encounter, he untied her. She then thanked him for his, uh, thanked him as a customer and walked him out the door. The glitch that people have with this story is how could somebody who just got raped thank a person and walk them out the door? Mm-hmm. This brings me back to my first point is the only thing you have under duress is habit and ritual. She went into an overwhelmed freeze. I don't know how good you are at martial arts, Adam, but I've been doing this my whole life. I have no ninja technique of not getting sodomized if I was in that exact position. I don't have any Houdini tricks to get out of ropes. I just uh, – that if that happened to me, the same result would have happened. Right. Where it got into trouble, why I'm so big on this freeze model is everybody, of course, like, well, obviously it wasn't that bad if you thanked them, walked them out. But people don't understand that, again, under that deep, deep freeze, she had no good options. So her brain said, we're going to let this happen so we can survive this. And I cannot stress enough, you cannot survive wrong. There is no incorrect way to survive. So when people start giving back chair or armchair quarterback advice on this, I always find it annoying. So she obviously hit a depressive state because now she's like, I thought I was doing this for the money because I was trying to get a debt, but now maybe I am this person. Did I want this to happen? Because of course she didn't know about the overwhelm freeze either. So she takes my course. We go through the overwhelm freeze. All of a sudden lights pop on just like it did to me when I got stabbed. Rory Miller's book brought me back to the world of martial arts. Uh, this happened to her. She's now out of Edmonton. She now has a brand new life because she wasn't this this depressed person. So I think it's important to know that a lot of us, yourself, myself, we're highly trained people. There's just some stuff that we're not going to understand. The 
and the overwhelm freeze is one of them. If you're in a situation where your body knows you cannot do anything, it will stay frozen until a better option pops up. This is why training is so important. The first time you see something should not be in real life. It should be on a training floor. It should be in high gear or Spartan gear. It should be a scenario. You should be going through all the eventualities of what you could potentially run into. And if you're not doing it physically, at least doing deep visualization of it. Because even a deep visualization will give you a rep in a situation. The way I always tell it to people to make it a little bit more accessible is when my daughter was five, she was obsessed with My Little Pony, so obsessed that she would walk into the room when I had her on the weekend, and she would tell me, Dad, name all six major ponies, and then I had to recite all of the ponies in order for my daughter to love me. Right. And I still know them to this day, I think. Uh, I'll do them later if you want for bonus content. Perfect. Yeah, we'll put that on the bonus content. <laughs> exactly. Randy goes over My Little Pony. So uh, Adam and Randy's anyways. My Little Pony podcast. Yes, we're going to brony it up. I'm really excited now. So that's the podcast I actually want to be on. So uh, I digress. Um, When she was five, her whole life was visualizing ponies. So if a baby unicorn, if I was walking down the street and a baby unicorn jumped into my arms, I would go into an overwhelmed freeze because I'd be like, are you unicorns are real? Why did you go to my hands? I thought this was fake. What the hell is going on? My brain would have a lot of questions in that situation because I would have no training for that situation. If that happened to my daughter at five, she would instantly pet that unicorn. She's been training for that her whole life. <laughs> this is why I cannot stress how important training is, especially if you work in a dangerous area. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's, but yeah. it's, it's interesting. You said at the beginning there um that you're like well it's not really applicable it may be applicable but it's more for civilian use i think that is extremely applicable to everybody law enforcement military corrections first responders because that story that you told that is something that these listeners the people that are listening right now that they encounter shift after shift day after day mm-hmm. and yeah. and maybe just maybe somebody listening to this um it is kind of that light bulb moment as to, Oh, that's why, like, that's why they acted like this. That's why they reacted in this way. Maybe I shouldn't have, you know, been so hard on them or questioned them so mm-hmm. hard um, without knowing that. So thank you for sharing that story. I think even if, even if it's one person listening to this and they're sitting there, they're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense now. Um, I know yeah. for me, I've, I've read a lot of literature on the same types of topics. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the way that you've surmised it is fantastic. I, I well, thank you, thank you very much. I think it's I think it's really concise, and I think it's a very simple way. Uh, it's a jarring way, but it's a simple way to explain a very complex topic. So I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, and not I know I'm promoting later, but all that stuff I have a video on that free on YouTube, and Instagram has the actual freeze model broken down on infographic. If your listeners want to see, deadly. It. Yeah, we're gonna we'll make sure that's up on the the show notes page and on the web page. We'll link all that stuff up there for you. So. Awesome. But yeah, that's made a huge difference, especially like I think we always do what we call a debrief at the end of the class. And I always ask people what their biggest takeaway was from what I taught just to kind of like as a sales thing to like make them remember their favorite thing, but mm-hmm. also to see like what they're listening to. Right. Like if they repeat back the thing I think is important, that means the class was correct. But if they repeat back some stuff that I didn't think was like was like was gravy, not the meal that I'm like, oh, I need to adjust my teaching. And so that is one of the biggest takeaways that a lot of females um, and not, not just females, males as well, uh, especially males that had no combat experience or no experience. They're like, yeah, I just froze. I thought I'd do better, but I didn't know what to do. 
is like that's that overwhelmed freeze. Just if you don't have training in it, if there's nothing, once you get to that survival part of your hard of your of your brain, if there's nothing written on that part of the hard drive, then when you're scanning it, there's nothing, right? And once you're in that deep survival portion, if you don't have deep survival training built in, then there's going to be nothing there to access under duress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that's a fantastic way to sum that up. And before before we kind of shoot off into anything else and you know maybe this we can there's about a dozen different things that are coming to the top of my mind so we're gonna have to have you back on um or we're gonna do this again in some other fashion too because i have a a ton of questions for you but i know you just put up a brand new website um yes randykinglive.com um correct why don't you just share a little bit about what you do um, and with, with your platforms, with your training, so that if somebody sure. is in Canada here, if they're at Edmonton or the Alberta area, they can find you. Um, and yeah. you're also accessible to pretty much anybody worldwide. Um, so yeah, let, let them, let them know where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So I just, uh, I pretty much just unveiled the Randy King live brand recently. So I have a gym here in Edmonton called KPC self-defense. My partner runs that gym when I'm not here. They're still teaching the same programs I teach, but uh, I'm getting some, I'm lucky I'm getting some fame internationally. And most of that thank you goes to my mentor, Rory Miller, for talking about me in other countries. And then they email me and want me to come out. So uh, what Randy King Live is, randykinglive.com, is just uh, pretty much the host site for kind of everything I'm doing. So you'll see my podcast on there, my YouTube videos. Everything. It's like a hub for all the information I'm putting out there. And, and you said you were looking at the stuff that I do. I put out a ton of free content all the time. Um, I left, So I left a job in advertising making far more money than I make now in order to do what I do. So I'm not in this for the money. Money obviously has to be a metric. I have to pay my bills. But that's not the goal. Right. And so I'm always releasing free content as much as possible to try and make people as safe as possible. That's that's been my goal since I started doing this. So with Randy King Live, um, we're just we're redoing all of the courses right now. But pretty much I have a a couple of seminars that I do that I can come into your gym and teach. I was just in white court teaching one and this is where I get hired out. So I have a pre-attack cues and uh, boundary setting seminar. I have a counter ambush and understanding operant conditioning seminar. I have a knife defense program called the four eyes. I have a dirty boxing program where I teach close quarter kind of wrestling to boxing stuff. Um, I also do conflict communications course certified through Rory Miller. I teach a workplace violence course that we're unveiling in 2020, where we're going to be going to uh, corporations and talking about workplace violence, especially in Canada. Those are the areas I'm focusing on primarily now. Um, I get to teach them literally all over the world. I was in Scotland a couple of weeks ago teaching both my pre-attack cues and dirty boxing seminars. So that's the the cool thing Grand King Live is that it's just the, the really neat thing about being a an independent contractor, I guess would be the best way to say it, is I don't have to go through an organization to give people the most up-to-date information. I always found that annoying when I was working with a federation or a group is like, okay, so we have this new information. So, Hey, head sensei, guru, whatever we should teach this. So like, ah, we'll see. And I'm like, well, no, this is like the newest data out there. And so the really cool thing about the Randy King live platform is it's Randy King live. It's just me. It's me doing the seminar, which means we can pivot really quickly with the newest information and we can keep people up to date on what is happening through the trends of like, Violence dynamics, how people fight, um, what the goals of violence are, what your goals should be. We could keep updating that at real time as opposed to having to go through the bureaucracy of uh, an organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's awesome. I 
that's the whole reason why I started my podcast was to get that information yeah. out as soon as possible. And so that people around the world and around North America can share their knowledge and information as instructors, as trainers to everyone and not being bound by those organizational uh, red tape as it were. So. Yeah, I think that's super important. And like people get blinded by lingo and everybody wants to have their own version of all the same stuff. Like I saw a group rebrand the OODA loop as the race reaction model. And like people are just so into like none of this is new. Like none of this is uh, it's at best rediscovery and adaptation to the new level of technology we have. Right. So like example, my pre-attack Q seminar, it's, it's a one day seminar where we talk about just like really basic body language. Like it's insane how it's, it's basic. It's not, it's not unrelevant. It's not unrelevant, but it's pretty basic. It's like a, we talk about hands and eyes and what to look for in each of the cues. And if it's a predator, this is probably the cues are going to give. If it's a, like a bully or whatever, it's the cues are going to give. And I have this weird gap. I'm 38. So I'm kind of on the bridge of it, but people older than me are like, why would you have to teach this course? That's basic knowledge. But people under my age, <laughs> primarily work through screens and they can read emojis, but they can't read people anymore. So now these courses are becoming vital, which is, it's terrifying, but also important that people understand um, the different types of violence, the goals of that violence, what victim profile they're going to be selected for. And if all of your uh, combat experiences, world of Warcraft and uh, first person shooters, like you're going to be in some real trouble. Right. And just even talking to other human being, like I'm very lucky. I didn't have to live in the dating app world, but like I, I'm just partnering up right now with a lady. She runs a dating. She's like, a, she's like, have you seen the movie Hitch? Do you know Hitch? I do. Yes. With yeah. So she's effectively Hitch here in Edmonton. She goes through your social media profile and like gets you new pictures and changes the wording and tells you what to do. And I'm doing the second side of the seminar now where I'm teaching like uh, the women red flags. Right. Like if a person says this and they're like, oh, that's bad. I'm like. Yeah, if that was said 30 years ago, they would have got beaten up by every person around you. But now that we live behind a screen, if they put LOL behind it, crazy emoji face, you're going to let it happen. So it's a, we live in interesting times. That's for sure. Yes, we do. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> so Randy, listen, man, I want to thank you so much for taking the time and jumping on here. Um, and of if course. people haven't checked you out already, um, I know I follow you on Instagram and that's where I get a lot of your stuff. And that's uh, at Randy King live. Um, and uh, to preface it for some people too, I know you can get pretty controversial and, and heated on some of your topics as well. <laughs> so yeah, I sure can. Well, that's but that's good though because if yeah. and I've always thought that if you don't have a stance, then you shouldn't mm. be in the conversation. So I honestly like I cannot stress enough. I love haters so much they are my favorite when somebody starts trolling my page you're like yes i made it i'm so excited like if you don't have if you don't have trolls on your page you are you're not talking to anybody you don't know and that's not fun for anybody that's right yeah if you don't have somebody hating you you're not doing it right exactly that's awesome man well i hope we can get you back on here again um i had a ton of fun chatting with you today so it took so long to put this together but i'm glad we finally did um and uh and yeah man we'll uh we'll talk to you very soon Sounds great. Thank you very much, Adam. I appreciate your time. And thank you to all the listeners. And don't forget to share this episode, everybody. Awesome, man. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. That's going to be a wrap on episode 16 of the podcast. Thank you, Randy, for being on the show. Again, if you're listening to this and you want to check Randy out, visit us at the show notes page, thebreakdown.ca forward slash 016 
or you can check out randykinglive.com. Coming up next on the show, we are going to have Garrett Tisla. He is the host of The Squad Room, a law enforcement podcast that you may or may not be familiar with, but you will be after next episode. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you next time on The Tactical Breakdown. Stay safe.